Let's pray. God of life, you feed us in so many ways. Help us to focus on the one who feeds and not on the bread itself, unless it is the bread of you, our Saviour. Bless our time of reflection together today. Bless my words. May they bear much fruit to your kingdom, to your glory, sorry, and serve to grow your kingdom in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York and all the clouds that loud upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. And is, of course, the opening line of which play? Richard III. (laughs) Well, this statement was made with such hope that the dark days that they'd been living through would end. Of course, life is never that simple when people get involved. And I won't go into the story of what happened there. But we can identify with the sentiment of yearning to come out of a long, cold winter into some sunshine. This pandemic we are living through is like a long, cold winter, isn't it? This time of rebirth and transition for our church has felt like a long, cold winter. The fact that we're still actually journeying through the season of winter adds to the intensity of our feelings. Wrestling with our feelings, whether or not we allow them to run our lives, this is a timeless human struggle. I've got a little video clip here, John. Delayed gratification is a sign of psychological maturity, the experts say. I think it's a self-discipline that we're losing in our me-centred society. Paul speaks today in the message he wrote to the church in Ephesus about what it means to have maturity in Christ. To grow up is a term that he uses many times. It's a common theme in the Bible generally, but the early church leaders were quite specific about the need to develop in spiritual maturity. We tend to have insatiable appetites for the wrong things. Entitlement, impatience, self-serving. In our Old Testament reading today, which we didn't hear in church today, most of you know the story about King David and Bathsheba, so I didn't, didn't read that one. And the reading today is Nathan the prophet talking to David and telling him what he's done, and he's outraged. It tells him a little parable, and he's outraged at the behaviour of this man, and he finishes off by saying, that man is you. You did this. (laughs) King David, in him we see the human sinful king who's sold out to his own unhealthy ambitions. When you're used to having all you want, no is not a word you want to hear. And filled with his own sense of importance and power, he caught sight of something that he wasn't allowed and he decided to just take it for himself, expecting that there would be no consequences because of who he was. To any normal member of his kingdom, King David would have looked like a man with more than enough. Yet he was not content. 
He wanted things that were not his to have. He wanted Bathsheba, although she was married to someone else. He wanted the appearance of innocence, although he was guilty. He wanted the moral righteousness to condemn the evildoer in Nathan's story, but found out that he was that man. The Lord God lists the abundance given to David. But then he levels him in this sentence. You weren't content with my bounty. You added the sword. You needed to use the sword to be content. Okay, then have the sword. In our gospel today, Jesus says that the people follow him because he can feed them more bread although he has much more to offer. He wants them to find contentment in him. Before we come back to that question, I'm going to keep going with that. I want to take you on a journey. And you might remember journeys like this one that sound a little bit like this. Where are we going? How long is this going to take? Are we there yet? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. She's bothering me. Why do I always have the sun on my side? Why did I even have to come on this stupid trip? Why couldn't you just leave me at home with my friends? When are we going to get there? Sound familiar? (laughs) We actually had a six-day drive like this when we moved from Melbourne to Cairns with three teenage daughters who did not want to move. That's a memorable trip. (laughs) With no air conditioning, I'll just add. (laughs) Now, whether or not you've made such a huge trip... I doubt that there are many among us who have not either experienced or delivered that parental admonition, don't make me pull this car over. (laughs) Anyway, back to the real story. It's the story of the journey of the Israelites. They've recently been delivered from slavery in Egypt. But the soundtrack is very similar. When are we going to get there? I'm hot. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Why did I even have to come on this stupid trip? Why didn't you just leave us back in Egypt? In other words, the Israelites are whining. The Hebrew word is sometimes translated murmur, but it's the same thing, and we all know how it sounds. The Israelites have been out of Egypt for all of two months. They have been, until fairly recently, delivered from a truly bad situation an unjust situation, a miserable situation. They were slaves in Egypt. We can't even begin to comprehend what that means. Slaves without dignity, without personhood, without self-determination, treated as property. And they cried out to God and God heard them and delivered them from the Egyptians and brought them in safety to freedom. And here they are now in this middle place, the wilderness, no longer in bondage to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but not yet in the promised land. They're fairly new at freedom, and they're finding it a challenge. The people are hungry, and they turn on Moses and Aaron, who are probably just as hot and tired and hungry and wishing they'd perhaps stopped and asked for directions like any sensible woman would have. (laughs) The people whine. 
But more than that annoying sound of the whining, it's the irrational content of it that's so stunning. Moses, did you bring us out here to starve us to death? If only we were back in Egypt. Yeah, sure, we were slaves there, we were abused. We were no better than pieces of property to the Egyptians, but at least they fed us. You don't love us. Why did we even have to go on this stupid trip? Slight paraphrasing there, by the way. Freedom is a challenge. For one thing, instead of just being told what to do all the time, they have to learn a new skill. Complaining they've perfected. Being victims, well, they're well-practised at that. Now they have to learn to trust. They have to learn to trust God. They have to take responsibility and learn to open their eyes and hearts and learn a new way of being in the world. They have to learn how to live with contentment. Now, they were very right to be discontent with their old situation. We are never supposed to be content with injustice, with inhumane treatment of anyone. We're never supposed to be content with abuse or cooperation with evil. But here they were, free, but so far away from contentment. It's like they carried their discontentment with them dwelling within it like a shelter, like a tent. And that's the thing about tents, isn't it? They're portable. So you can change your setting, your campsite, your whole surroundings and situation, and you can still be hauling around the same old tent. You can still be setting up your same old tent and crawling into your same old tent at night and waking up in your same old discontent and wondering why things still look bleak and miserable. Do you remember those old canvas tents that some of us grew up with? The ones that got that real musty smell and if you leaned up against them in the middle of the night that's where the moisture would come in. Or if it rained, the rain would find the low point on the canvas to come through and you'd wake up in the middle of the night with water dripping through. Well, you're free to still be hauling around one of those old canvas tents if you want. But here's good news. They make new ones now that don't leak, that don't smell musty, that are easier to set up and take down, and they're much lighter weight. But it's up to you which kind of tent you want to use as your dwelling. Contentment or discontentment. We aren't so different from the Israelites, are we? Did you ever stay in a bad situation because it's easier to stay with the devil you know? Did you ever settle for less than you could be or could be doing because, well, it's not great but it's tough to make a change and truth be told, complaining about it is easier than changing. The Israelites had just been brought through a huge change and now it was time to learn a new skill trust in God to feed them God gave the Israelites the gift of manna a fine 
white flaky substance that appeared on the ground every morning. It was so peculiar, new and wondrous that the people asked, what is it? And in Hebrew that sounds like manna and the name stuck. The food is wondrous not only because it appears overnight while they're asleep in this barren place out of nowhere or solely out of the abundance of God. But it's theirs with no work, no slave labour, just grace. Here it is. It's also wondrous because it has special built-in properties to make sure that everyone gets enough, just enough. They have to collect it each day. There's enough, exactly enough to go around, no more, no less. If they try to hoard it for the next day, it rots. The only exception was on the Sabbath when the people weren't supposed to do any work and on the day before the Sabbath they could collect enough for the Sabbath too and it would last. Like all new things, it takes some practice. As we know from lockdown, some people hoard and all they have to show for it is a bunch of mouldy manna. Some people didn't collect enough for the Sabbath. And when the Sabbath came, there was no manna for them. Trust, says God. Trust me and follow my instructions. They're trustworthy too. Trust, listen to me and obey. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. For us to know each other and love each other and trust each other. Then you will dwell in contentment. There's a fundamental shift in focus in each of our readings today, a growth towards spiritual maturity, finding contentment in God. For David, his insatiable appetite for the wrong things had to mature into having a heart after God's own heart, which is what we know him for. The people in Ephesus that Paul was writing to, they had to move from divisions and self-serving and competition and comparisons towards a unity of faith and a knowledge of the Son of God They had to move from an individual understanding towards a communal understanding. And in our gospel reading, they came looking for signs and works and performance. And Jesus encouraged them to move towards a relationship of trust and faith through him in the living God. In Jesus, God took the life of contentment one step further. He didn't just give physical bread. He didn't just come to make sure that people had full body, full bellies, sorry, and their physical needs were met. Jesus came to be the bread of life, the source for spiritual contentment as well, the source of joy and contentment in any situation, in plenty 
and in want, in easy times and in times of struggle and challenge. Don't be content with physical stuff. Don't try to find contentment with the things of this world that are here today and gone tomorrow. Seek God's kingdom. Seek the food that endures for eternal life. Jesus offers himself and walking with Jesus, feasting with Jesus, eating the bread that he gives us, which is himself, we can know contentment wherever we find ourselves, even in the midst of a desert, even when provision seems scarce or we don't know exactly where the journey is leading, Jesus will be our sustenance and our guide if we let him. We can dwell in content. We can know what is enough and who is enough. Come to me, says Jesus. How deeply our heart wants to hear someone say that. Let me stop you from being hungry and so very thirsty. I will give you everything. But you have to come. Come into relationship. Come into my life. Come into my kingdom. I love you. I'm happy to see you. Come, let us live together to the end of the age. The road of discipleship will not be easy. And there is no doubt that there will be times when we wonder why we can't go back to the familiar bondage of the past. But the bread of life, the manna in the wilderness, will continue to be offered to sustain us on our journey. And if we are to make it, we need to recognise that we are all depending for our life on the one bread, which the one Father has given us in the one Spirit. The unity is a given. We are called to be one and to engage together in the life and the mission of the one God. All this is a gift. So let's feed on it with thanksgiving and with hope, and let us find the contentment for which we were created. The way of Christ calls us beyond what was. It calls us beyond even what is. We are not meant to languish in our winter of discontent but to journey ever forwards, ever upwards, ever towards the fullness of all that God has in store. Slide, please, John. May this be the opening line of the rest of our lives. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the Son of God. And all the clouds that lured upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. The Lord be with you.